0: so great that we can be together this morning and worshiping Jesus. This is a special Sunday in that it's a vision Sunday. Now normally what that means is I give kind of a state of the union address and how things are going. And uh, I'm going to kind of do something a little bit different today, but the the short response to that is things are going shockingly well uh, in our church. The giving remains uh, unbelievably strong. Thank you so much for your generosity. We have more D groups uh, than we had, uh, you know, last year than we've ever had. Uh, Things just really seem to be in a healthy place. With all things considered, God is being good. And, uh, of course, that's not surprising. But uh, I'm just so grateful for your responsiveness to God in this time, for what he's doing in our hearts, in our lives, continuing to do in the city around us, seeing even we, we've already had baptisms this year, and uh, there's lots to rejoice about. But in the midst of this, as I think about a Vision Sunday, I really felt the need to kind of give a message of hope. And the passage that I want to look at, actually the book that I want to look at, is the book of Revelation. Here we have the Apostle uh, John uh, in forced isolation. You know, we're in isolation, uh, kind of forced. He was particularly forced in that he's on the island of Patmos, uh, really imprisoned on that island. And so he's in kind of a similar situation in that he's isolated. And he, from that place, has a revelation. A, uh, uh, the other word for it is actually an apocalypse, but a revelation about who Jesus Christ is. And he writes it down, And gives it as a word of encouragement, a word of hope to the churches. What we see in this book is two main commandments. The first is to behold or to look. It's an interesting thing to be commanded to do, but sometimes we just need to to look deeper and to see what God is doing. And so 25 times in the book of Revelation, is the command to behold or to look. And the other thing that is mentioned frequently and is kind of emphasized as the thing that we're to do is to not be afraid. So we're commanded to look, and then in that looking, don't be afraid. <laughs> because there's lots of things that we could look at in reality and even in terms of what we see God doing, and we could be full of fear. We could say, wow, this is, a, this is an unusual time. This is a shocking time when Revelation talks about the things that are yet to happen. It's in very graphic uh, imagery. And so there could be cause to be afraid. But John says, no, look and look intently, but don't be afraid. How do we not be afraid when we look at reality or we even look at the things to come? We look through a revelation. This is an interesting word. We don't really use this word very often, but what it means is that um, a revelation is what can't be deduced from reason or experience. That there needs to be some external input, more than what we can understand, more than what we can actually experience. We need additional input additional understanding that comes from God and describes things uh, beyond what our eyes or mind could naturally understand. And what this revelation is that's beyond what our our, uh, our five senses can grasp is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. When we think of the, the book of Revelation, we think that it's kind of a a prophecy of end times. Well, there's some truth to that, but there's a there's a deeper meaning in the book, and it's simply this, who Jesus Christ truly is. And at each uh, unfolding of revelation, we get a deeper and broader and richer picture of who Jesus Christ is. And at the end of time, kind of, it is the the veil has been fully removed and we see jesus in all of his splendor and glory and beauty and what this beholding what this 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 revelation does is it changes how we see today when we see what is ultimately going to happen who jesus truly is we can kind of reverse engineer and have a greater understanding of what's going on today and how to see today in a new way, in a way that doesn't make us afraid, but that actually gives us hope. What is the way that Jesus is primarily portrayed in the book of Revelation? Well, he's the Lion of Judah. He is the victorious one. He's described as having a sword coming out of his mouth, which actually speaks words that defeats the enemy, and that establishes his kingdom in its fullness. Uh, Powerful imagery. But here's what's interesting about that. It's easy to contrast uh, Jesus in two ways, that he's the lion and the lamb, and that when he returns as a lion, he's kind of left all the lamb things behind. But it's interesting that even as a victorious warrior he still presents himself as a slain lamb. This is interesting because we look at who Jesus is in the cross and we can think that that, that was kind of a an un, uh, I mean a necessary but unfortunate kind of season of time where he had to kind of come and, and sacrifice for our sins but who he really wants to be is the, is the lion of Judah. And we get to march in uh, triumph with him as he rules the world. Well, this isn't just an unfortunate or difficult season in Jesus' development as a leader. It's not that at all. It's interesting that when uh, he's described as a slain lamb, he's described as having seven horns and seven eyes. Now, what does that mean? Well, the horns are about power. And the eyes are about wisdom, the ability to see. And so even as a slain lamb, he is neither weak nor stupid. He is in full authority. Seven is the is the number of completion. He even in the, the state of being on the cross, he is fully Lord, full in, fully in control, and leading the world. And... So he's not, he's not weak. That, that, that picture of a slain lamb is not a picture of weakness. It's a picture of strength and glory. That our king is one who would suffer and die for us. And that is just as much a statement of his triumph over evil as when he comes with a sword coming from his mouth. And then he's also not stupid. The, the, the seven eyes are, again, seven is completion, perfection. And he's coming with absolute wisdom. And uh, who he comes to sacrifice for our sins, he comes in his wisdom and in his glory. Not as, wow, I, you know, I, I, I don't really all know what's going on, but I hope it all works so fine. of course, that's, that has nothing to do with who Jesus is. And so we have this picture of this slain lamb Now in glory, but not leaving behind who he was. This is very helpful for us now because our experience of Jesus is as a lamb, one who has died for our sins, given us right relationship with God. And in that relationship, there is ultimate authority and wisdom and power and glory. And so when we see the fullness of what the cross achieves, we can then work backwards from that and say, that is who Jesus is right now in my life. He is ruling Lord. And the the work of the cross reinforces his position as king, doesn't diminish it in any way. Right now, Jesus is in complete control of the world. Everything is leading toward uh, his ultimate design, and we are participating in the coming of the king. What a grand way to picture what's going on right now. So the pandemic that we're presently experiencing is not, uh, is not a surprise to him. He's not rattled by it. It's not, a, it's not a sign of his weakness. No, even in the midst of human tragedy, He is uh, actively advancing his kingdom rule on earth and inviting us to participate in that work with him. So this revelation uh, of who Jesus is dramatically changes how we live today. And what I'd like to do is outline four practical points of how this revelation of who God is Changes how we live today, and what we're going to be looking at is the letters to the seven churches. Now, obviously, in one sermon we can't go into great detail, but what we can do is pick out four primary themes of what Jesus says to the churches, given who He is. Let's look at number one. We look at um, the to the church in Ephesus, in chapter two, verse four. It says that you have left your First love. What is the first thing that Jesus wants to say to us in this time? Remember me. Remember me. It is easy to, uh, in a time like this, to get into survival mode, into uh, a a self-protection, and just try to make it through this moment and, and hope that we can get back to normal uh, soon. I was listening to somebody say the other day that even when a vaccine does come, it is considered to be a successful vaccine if it has a, a, a 50% rate of, uh, of, of immunity. 50%. The reality is that we are in a time that isn't going to go away anytime soon. And so if our mentality is to kind of buckle down and and make it through, uh, I think we're missing the point. And Jesus says, given who I am, and you can see the end of the story, you can see my glory, you can see my strength. Given who I am, remember me. But don't remember me in a way of, of, of simply your almighty God. Remember your first love. Remember the affection that I demonstrated to you on the cross and respond in like kind. I gave myself wholly to you. I didn't hold anything back. I gave you even my life. And so as as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he speaks to the Corinthian church, he says, it's a fair exchange. Return the affection back to me. And so God's plea to us in a time like this is to fall more deeply in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, to draw close to him, to know him, to use the uncertainty of this time not to cause you to recoil in self-protection, but actually to press deeper into the heart of God, that he would be our safe place, that he would be the eye of the storm, that he would be the place where we find peace Insecurity, sanity, wisdom, hope. It would be in the heart of Jesus. I love the invitation that is given to the church of Laodicea in chapter three, verse 20. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, if they hear my voice, if they receive revelation, I will come into him, into him and dine with him. God is inviting us in this time into fellowship with him. What a, what a beautiful picture of him wanting to have a meal with us and talk to us and to, to hear what's going on in our heart and, and for him to, to reassure us of, of, of who he is and to remind us, not in some abstract way, but as one sitting across the table, we can look in his eyes and be reassured of his goodness his greatness my friends every day I need to draw away with my father and I need to hear from him again what is true about him because the things that are coming in through my eyes the things where my mind wants to go off to are unreliable and I need to draw close to God and be reminded of his truth, receive his revelation, primarily of who his son is and what he's done in the work of the cross. So that's number one, is to, is to remember Jesus, to remember our first love. Number two, in uh, Pergamum, he writes this, chapter 2, verse 14, There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, Nicolo, the Nicolotians, uh, and then in Thyatira, he says there are some that are following Jezebel. What's going on here? What's his, his, uh, his command to us is to avoid, and here's a fancy word, to avoid syncretism. Syncretism is the blending together of Christian beliefs with popular cultural beliefs, and to synchronize them, and to come up with kind of a hybrid version What's interesting about the book of Revelation is it's full of stark contrasts. Uh, There are two warring powers, Jesus Christ and Satan, the dragon and his beast. It's not like there's some third option. There's either you're following Jesus Christ or you're following the dragon. What a stark way to view reality. Uh, Do you think this way? Do you think that in any given moment you're only following one of two powers? No, you go, no, no, no. It's not like that. I'm just, I'm just doing what I think is best to do in this moment. Well, your thoughts are either being in, being informed by the spirit of Jesus, or by the spirit of man, Satan. And to realize that is to paint this moment with a very stark um, uh, color palette, that there's light and there's darkness. He says that there's two cities. There's Jerusalem and Babylon. Jerusalem is the bride of Christ, and Babylon is the harlot. That we're either a pure bride or a harlot. I mean, it's like, lighten up. You know, it's... it's. Uh, Let's just be reasonable here. You know, life is complex and, and we're only human. And, and I, you know, we live in a, in a gray reality. Well, yeah, our reality is gray, but our decisions and our devotions are not. And so this is what's spoken to us. And Babylon is described as, the, uh, as kind of the economic system. That are you going to sell your soul to money and success and find your peace and security in the in the worldly systems of today? Or are you going to find your peace and security in Jesus Christ? You can only ultimately trust in one God. And be, you can only be faithful to one. You can't be faithful to two. That's unfaithfulness by, by its very definition. And so revelation comes and informs this moment, brings, brings revelation to this moment, and says, look, In a time like this, this is a time to choose. Who is your first love? Who will you be faithful to? Who will you devote yourself to? Uh, To make this point even even clearer, the word tribulation is described in the book of Revelation. Now, when I think of tribulation or suffering or persecution, I think of uh, losing my credit card or uh, wanting to go on a vacation and because of COVID, there's no rooms available (laughs) or somebody has said something to me and they said it in a sarcastic and condescending tone. I mean, when I think of suffering, I think of the world not revolving around me very well. But revelation uses a different kind of word, and it uses the word tribulation. Now, what tribulation means is the clash of kingdoms. I don't know if you've seen these, war movies, and and sometimes they're, you know, of uh, of centuries ago, and you see these, uh, you know, with, with their swords held high, and they're all, you know, shouting a battle cry, and you see these, these two warring kingdoms come, and they pan back, and then they zoom into this clash of, um, of two armies. That's what's going on right now. Right now, whether we want it to be true or not, the kingdom of darkness is, is smashing against you and I as sons and daughters of light. And darkness is violently trying to destroy us. Is that the reality that you and I live in on a daily basis? I don't think it is. But here's the problem, is that that numbing of the tribulation that we are presently enduring is actually a sign of darkness in Uh, When when Jesus speaks to the church of Laodicea, he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That Don't imagine that this is a lukewarm moment. Either you're for me or you're against me. And the book of Revelation is to take that stark reality and, and compel us to overlay it onto what's happening right now. One of the things that I, I think about in this regard is uh, even government. When we look at other governments around the world, it seems to be, or, or historically, it's almost without exception. But, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's some governments, I, I, I know there's exceptions. But in lots of ways, uh, governments in the kingdom of God, have not got along super well, have they? But here in the West, we go, oh, the government is kind of a neutral reality. It's, uh, it's neither, you know, for us or against us. It's just managing society. No, it's not. Human beings have agendas. And those agendas are either for the kingdom of God or against the kingdom of God. And so if we have that everything that the, the, the government says is, is, you know, that it's all for our well-being, well, I'm sure that that's what they're thinking, but it's often not true. And if we're to simply swallow this moment without being prayerful, and thoughtful, and seeking the revelation of God, we're going to become lukewarm in this time. And that lukewarmness is a sign of darkness winning. And so I implore you, do not become syncretistic in a time such as this. Do not befriend gray. It's just a it's just a, a way to conceal the darkness. And so I, I, I look, uh, maybe I, I'm speaking to the wrong people. If you're, if you're listening to this, it means you're here. But wow, if you know people who aren't here, then maybe there's, something, there's a way that you need to help them, which we're going to get to in a minute. But uh, isn't it easier to not attend church on Sunday? Isn't it easier to say, well, I mean, it's just more awkward to, um, you know, to share our faith, and it's harder to do it virtually, and, and wow, I'm just so stressed out now as it is anyways. I love what, what I, ENC Every Nation Campus is doing in our church. They say it's going to be harder to reach first-year students. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to do bold evangelism. We're going to go out on the campus, and we're going to meet people. We're going to meet foreign students, people who are on the campus. We're not going to uh, kind of wait for something magical to happen. We're believing that people need to know Jesus as much now as they ever have. And we're going to be proactive, and we're going to see God's kingdom grow and advance in this time. I believe that with my whole heart, that when we have a mindset of light and dark, that puts in us an urgency to bring light into our world. How does the Bible describe us? Jesus is the light of the world, and then because we're in him, who are we? We're the light of the world. And if we don't bring light into darkness, darkness will prevail. So this is not a unique time that, in the sense that uh, darkness is kind of taking a break. Uh, darkness is using this pandemic, using economic uncertainty, To advance an agenda that opposes the kingdom of God. Number three, to the church in Smyrna, it's written in chapter 2, verse 10 do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. So, number one is to remember your first love. Number two is to avoid syncretism, stay faithful to him in this time. And then number three is do not be afraid about what you're going to suffer, which means that you and I will suffer. Don't be afraid of that. What's the call here? Is to order our fears. Uh, Psalm 34 verses 4 and 7. You can look that up later if you want, Psalm 34. I have found it a very helpful passage to understand that fears are not something that we ignore or erase. They're only something that we order. So you never actually get rid of a fear. You just order a fear. And what's the, the first fear that is to control us? The fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's how then we know to approach the other dangers and difficulties and troubles that are in our life. Is when we first fear the Lord. I need to ask you, uh, who or what, Is your greatest fear. And for many people right now, the the greatest fear is physical. Now, uh, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. Is this a time when we're to be responsible, not just for our own physical safety, but for those around us? Should we be practicing COVID protocols? Absolutely absolutely. We should be on the forefront of caring for others in how we behave and not having some bravado that says that we're somehow above this, which some people describe faith as being that way, and that's not what faith is at all. Um, But there is a greater thing to fear. In Matthew Chapter 10, verse 28. Listen to this. It says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Uh, Do not be afraid of those diseases that kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. Somehow, what we have done is we've contrasted uh, loving Jesus with fearing him and the one that i love most i am most afraid of being away from i am i am terrified to be away from jesus he's the source of life and to be away from him is to die and i am i am terrified of being away from the source of love we need to order our fears in a time such as this so Are we to have a healthy, in a sense, respect for COVID? Of course we are. But there's a bigger thing going on in this time that we need to grab hold of. And it's simply this, that people are dying, COVID or not, and going to hell. Jesus is not being rightly honored and glorified in people's lives, or in this earth. And if that's not true, then this world is cursed and doomed. And so we need to figure out, in this time, how to fear the Lord, and how to be about his business. So, let's fear losing our first love. Let that be the thing that terrifies you most, that in a time such as this, it would distract you from loving and needing and trusting in Jesus Christ. This is why our D-groups are more important than they've ever been. We've always said that at the center of our church, and what we, we were on a call yesterday with some of the leaders in our church, and prophetically, we hear that, that this is the time that the Spirit of God is emphasizing small groups, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. That this is a time that we need to draw close and encourage one another. Because it's easy to let other fears take over our mind. It's easy to let other loves take over our mind. And so we need to encourage one another in a time such as this. We also need to understand how to come together, of course, in safe. Ways and not everybody's going to be able to participate in this for various reasons uh, uh, reasonable and right reasons. Not everybody's going to be able to meet together. But I am praying that in these coming weeks and months we will find ways to meet together in communities and on Sundays because we need to. We need to be a people who encourages one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do not let a, a, a fear trump another fear. Now, I am not saying, you know, there's my, my in-laws, we're in their 80s, it wouldn't be wise. And so we're going we're gonna to stay um, always doing uh, watch parties and making sure that everybody gets to participate. But what we're also saying is in a time such as this, for those of us who are able to, that it's important for us to encourage one another and to meet together and to worship Jesus together. You know, sometimes I, I think about our family, and wh- where do I have meaningful talks, which is kind of like D groups? Well, I have them in one-on-one with my kids. I, I I can't remember the last time I had a meaningful talk at dinner time when the whole family comes over. I mean, it's just chaotic. Everybody's laughing and talking and and uh, eating and, and enjoying being together. And so I could say, you know, what's the point of the dinner? Why not just have a whole bunch of one-on-ones or small group times and, and kind of skip that? There's something about building identity, building hope, building vision, that a large group, uh, we need to be together to in order to receive that. I thought you know, before COVID came, we have all of us meeting, and there's only a few people on stage, if you, you know, I'm sure you noticed that. And so what does that mean? Is is the rest just spectators? No. No, all of us are identifying as as men and women of the kingdom of God. And we're coming together to state something. It's not whether we can have a good talk or not, we've come together and we're identifying. What do we see right now in the streets in various cities? People coming together with signs and placards, identifying themselves with a cause. We need to identify ourselves with the greatest cause of all time, the coming of the kingdom of God. And people are willing to even risk their physical safety because of a personal conviction of injustice. God bless them for that. Should we not be the same and be even more urgent with a picture, a revelation of the coming of the kingdom and where people will ultimately end up? Should that not put in us an urgency that says even at at, at, at personal risk. And of course, you minimize those risks. And I'll put all the caveats in there. We still need to be a people who fight for something passionately in this time. This is the vision that we need in this coming season. We're going to be having a, uh, uh, a, uh, leaders meeting tonight, Sunday night. I encourage you to come out to that. We're going to unpack what we want to see happen in our D groups. And uh, you're, you're invited. But this is a time for us to be mobilized. And this brings us to our final point. To the church in Sardis, chapter 3, verse 2, is this command. Wake up. Wake up. You're, you're going to fall asleep to the point of death. Wake up. There is unfinished work that needs to be done. What is this unfinished work? Well, it's the preparation of the world to receive her king. And we need to be about that. And what's primarily going on there is preparing people's hearts to receive their king, preparing people to pledge their allegiance, not to a country, not to the kingdom of self, but to the kingdom of God, and to have a faithful, loyal devotion to Jesus Christ. In a time such as this, it's easy for inertia to take over and to just kind of let nature have its course and not put in uh, external energy to turn things around and to get used to just sitting at home and kind of minding our own business, wake up. The kingdom of darkness is advancing to the degree that we become passive and uh, fearful in this time. To the church in Philadelphia, he says this, Chapter 3, verse 8, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. God is giving us a door to walk through into his kingdom to do his purposes because there's unfinished work and we want to express our love and affection and devotion to our groom, to our king, and so we are about his business, preparing for him a, a, a city that he can return to. Hearts that will be devoted to him. In conclusion, there's a, there's a bumper sticker I saw a long time ago. I think I even saw it recently. It's a horrific bumper sticker. And it says this. It says, Jesus is coming. Look busy. I mean, it's a, it's a blasphemous statement. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Try to get on his good side. I need to ask you, um... Who is your first love? Who have you pledged your heart to? Who are you wholly devoted to? If you're wholly devoted to Jesus, you will draw away with him every day. You will be about his work. You will be faithful to him. It's light and darkness. Jerusalem, Babylon. Babylon. Bride, harlot, worshipping Jesus or worshipping the beast. Let that sobriety rest upon you this morning. Who is your hope? Who is your hope? A few months ago, we were uh, Debbie's parents, uh, Omiropa, as many of you know him, him as. Uh, they have a cabin past past um, Pemberton, and um, uh, Opal was wanting to go up there. Our 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 kids were wanting to go up there, and and so we 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 talked with with Opal, and we said, you know, is this really wise? Should we be doing this? You're you're in your 80s. We want to protect you, and he says. Uh, He said something that I thought was very powerful. He says, If it's it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I want to be with my grandchildren. And I would rather die earlier and live a fuller life than to guard myself to such a degree that everything that I value would be stolen from me. I am not, again, I emphasize, I am not advocating any sense of irresponsibility. And even when we were there, we tried to be responsible. Uh, That's the most loving thing that we can do. But it's not all that we do. Dr. Bonnie Henry, a few days ago, was saying what she has said often. And she said, this is a time of balance. Even the government understands that if all we were to do is crack down on preventing a, uh, a virus from spreading, the economic and emotional and social impact would be uh, as devastating and so even the, even the government needs to understand that there's a tension in this well we have attention too don't we that we're devoted to Jesus and to the coming of his kingdom and there's unfinished work and we are able to uh, to risk our reputation we're able to risk Uh, safety because we have a greater hope and I encourage us in this time to grab hold of that Uh, a few months ago when we were going through the book of Esther we talked about a hidden glory and that hidden glory is God himself and right now in this time there is a hidden glory Jesus is active and moving on the earth he's a slain lamb with seven horns and seven eyes he's active he's powerful He's wise, and he's winning. And we need to have revelation to see this hidden glory among us right now and to align our hearts and our lives with who he is and what he is doing in this time. So can I encourage you on this Vision Sunday to let Jesus capture your heart anew, to let him... uh, invigorate you wake you up call you to not be syncretistic but to, but to be faithful to him to choose him as your first love and perhaps more than anything to not be afraid but to be found faithful when he returns let's pray father these are sobering times and it's easy to be overwhelmed uh, it's even easy and easy to try to ignore it and say ah it's all fine and it's not all fine. And the threats that come against us right now are very real. But by revelation we see that there is a greater threat, and it's the loss of our souls and the dishonoring of our king. And so we align ourselves right now to being devoted to you first. To fearing you first, to setting aside Christ as Lord in our hearts first, and to being about your work in this time. Put inside of us, even this morning, a holy passion and a burning fire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Spirit of God, we receive you now to fill our hearts and minds with this revelation. In Jesus' name, amen.